Hey, everybody. Welcome to the book leads impactful books for life and leadership. I'm your series host and leadership performance coach, John Jermillo. This podcast series is about getting to the books that have impacted the lives and work of people in my network. Uh, I want to talk to these great leads about the books that have impacted the work, the business, the life that they're leading, uh, all those lives, all those worlds intersect. So I want to know which ones contributed the most to their work or impacted them the most. And the three types of books that I cover are books that they're sharing with me that I've never read, books that we've both read specifically for the series or maybe before the series in our past lives. And then the third category is when I talk to authors and or publishers about the messages that they're trying to get about the book that they're putting out there. So my guest today is Kim Pita, and Kim is a mental health advocate and past board chair of Mental Health Connecticut. Kim founded and launched Love Your Mental Health LLC in 2021, where she helps people turn their fears of mental health into love through self-care. She serves as chair of the board of directors of Copper Beach Institute, a mindfulness center in West Hartford, Connecticut, as well as Framingham State College Alumni Association. Kim is certified in mental health first aid, life purpose and happiness coaching, mindfulness facilitation, and singing bowls level one. In 2019, she published her memoir, Split Ends, A Tale of Two Crazy Sisters, and is currently working on several books, including 25 Ways to Love Your Mental Health. Kim and I cross paths in various conversations, discussions, groups in the central Connecticut uh, or, or central uh, statewide um, community. I think through the pandemic or note that through the pandemic with the virtual world, you were just able to attend different discussions, different groups, different events, and cross paths with somebody that you may not cross path with uh, in your, your normal everyday non-pandemic life. So I saw the work that Kim was doing. I think I saw her speak at an event, reached out to her just to learn a bit more about her and invite her to join me on the podcast. We touch base um, and I learned about her work. She learned about my work. And because mental health has come to the forefront uh, even more in the last couple of years, especially during the pandemic, I think uh, she can provide some amazing insight. And I'm excited to see how we can tie in her work in mental health um, to the book that we're going to cover. And I'll let her get to the book that we are going to cover. So Kim, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, John. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Now, Kim, um, who are you today? Uh, this is typically the question that I ask just to get a sense of the work that you're doing. I read your bio, but what is the work that you look like in your day to day? I know you wear many hats. Uh, I think the bio just kind of gave a sliver of the work that you do. What is it that you're up to these days? Well, I've been busy uh, building my Love Your Mental Health uh, practice, uh, if you will, and um, not only delivering workshops and events to those to, uh, to help improve their self-care and get past their fears, uh, but also determining how I can bring that Love Your Mental Health brand and concept to the world. Um, and really getting people to change their perspectives from fear into love. And I think the, the, the challenge has been mental health has been an area for so many years that people didn't really want to talk about. And I think one of the blessings of COVID, uh, if there are any, is that people now have recognized how important our mental health is. You know, COVID caused a lot of isolation, loneliness, um, really kind of getting in tune of why do I feel the way that I feel? And so now mental health is 
really kind of been on a springboard, if you will. I mean, you're seeing, you know, the government now starting to put more money towards it. Schools are starting to focus in on it. And if we can really talk about mental health at a very early age, then people will have this this foundational knowledge about why we need to focus on our mental health. And, you know, it's so easy for us to focus on our physical health, whether it's a stomach ache or, you know, we can't breathe or, you know, we're, or COVID or we're not feeling well, but they, people haven't really focused on their mental health. And I think that when we realize that our bodies, you know, we need to focus on both, um, we're going to be better humans ultimately. So that's what I'm really focusing in now is how do I continue to grow that brand through motivational speaking, through creating a book, uh, and uh, through delivering uh, more programs. And this is a perfect opportunity. I definitely want to do some more national podcasts uh, to get out to to the masses. Can you tell me a little bit about the work that you do with your clients in terms of life purpose work, happiness, um, mindfulness facilitation, Kim? Yeah, um, you know, it, that's been an area where, you know, I... I think that, you know, as you, as you grow older, I'm 55 now, you know, and so we, we build these, these great paths of, of experiences and wisdom that, that, you know, over the years it grows with us, right? And we learn from our life experiences. And so one of the areas I've been focusing in on in coaching is really helping people to find their purpose. Uh, what are we meant to do in this life? Um, and I find that a lot of people are fearful. And I think that's where the book that we're going to talk about today is how do we get past that fear and really start to put our talents and our gifts out into the world. So it's looking at, you know, what are our triggers? Uh, what are the things that we need to release? Um, you know, who do we need to forgive? And a lot of times we need to forgive our own selves first before we can forgive anyone else. Um, the whole notion of solitude and self-care and mindfulness of, you know, really mindfulness people think is just, you know, a lot of people think it's just sitting in practice in silence. And it's so much more than that. It's about embracing a mindful life, whether it's being mindful when you're driving, when, you know, you're, when somebody cuts you off and you get angry, instead of channeling that anger channel, just let it go, let it flow, because the only person getting upset is you. That person that just cut you off has no idea that you there that you're so upset, right? So even doing dishes, you know, a lot of us can't stand doing dishes. Um, but, you know, if you really pay attention to what you're doing, the smell, the texture, the, the feeling, the, the sounds, um, the other things I've been really connected to recently are my senses um, and, you know, really kind of keying in on your five senses. And if you can, can and if you concentrate on them and you really realize like, wow, there's just so much beauty around us. So, um, so yeah, so and I've been helping people in recovery, particularly um, those who, you know, have really, uh, been down and out and really need to figure out what, what's next in their life and how to get beyond that pain and that loss and whatever it is that might, they might be going through. Because many times when people are going through recovery, um, something bad has happened in their life. And so rather than, you know, feel guilty and be judgmental of yourself, learning how to realize that, you know, we're all human. Uh, we all are special and we all can bring our talents to this world. Yeah. I think that's work. That's just, um, 
it's amazing. I don't I don't even think it's only that mental health is now at the forefront in terms of a discussion point. I think it's at the forefront as a practice, as a way of life. You know what I mean? It, it's not only yeah. it's not only, you know, you can you can come forward. It's more it's it's not as stigmatized as it used to be. You can talk about um, what you're experiencing. You can be open. You can trust, you know, the greater community that people are being seen. It's not only that, but now it's kind of that health, like you said, not just the physical, but the mental, all the all the other components in our bodies that that go into setting us up for a sound, a sound, just mental state, one of just being at peace. So it's amazing where just a few years ago, it was destigmatized where you could talk a little bit more, but now it's kind of like, it's, I think you're seeing more and more that everything we do is mindful. Like you, like you mentioned about how it's going to affect us. You know, the decisions that we make, how is that going to affect us? The people that we're hanging out with, how is that going to affect us? What we're forfeiting in our lives or what we're tolerating, how is that going to affect us? So it's it came to the forefront in reacting to it, but now we're able to be more proactive. We're reminded to be more proactive about the choices that we make. It's not just treatment. It's not just acknowledgement. It's those things and much more. It's amazing to watch and see. Yeah. And, and, you know, what's been interesting, too, is, you know, there's still a big issue with access to care. Right. And so a lot of people still, you know, they can't they can't, you know, hire a psychiatrist or a psychologist. So we have to learn to depend on ourselves. Right. And so there's a lot of coping strategies. There's a lot of inner work that we can do individually that doesn't cost money that, you know, really begins to help us recognize, well, how are how you know our upbringing how did that affect us and what how did that influence us and maybe it created some negativity that we need to kind of step back and look at or maybe it's created some triggers that we need to be aware of and then when those triggers happen instead of you know spiraling down which many of us do recognizing that it's a trigger and then change that pattern of behavior and so i think that there's just you know there's hope I think that there, if anything, there's hope that, you know, more people that are talking about it, the more that it's integrated into our life, um, I think the better humans that we're going to be, not only for us, but for mm -hmm. everybody that's around us. Yeah, I, I mean, anecdotally, just in conversations, I hear more, more about people mentioning their therapist where years ago, somebody would have mentioned their therapist, their therapist, and it would have been like some kind of red flag or seen as a red yeah. flag. Now, honestly, somebody mentions it in, in conversation and it doesn't, you don't skip a beat. It's just kind of like, you know, it is what it is. It's, it's something that I do to take care of my, my mind, um, to decompress, to have a sounding board. It's, and it's amazing how often it comes up in conversations with friends. Um, yeah. And they just feel comfortable opening up that that's a part of their life. Right. You know, it, it's right. it's normalized. It's not seen as an exception, but it's just seen as a part of life. And there's just I mean, for me, I can't speak for everybody, but there's just a better understanding of what it takes to make it through this thing we call life. It's it's very complicated. We live in very complicated times and our bodies are very simple. You know, we just want to our bodies just need to survive and eat. And this yeah. world around us is just so much more complicated than what we're programmed for. 
it makes sense that we would need some something beyond that because we don't have we're like in primitive times we had so much to worry about survival now for yeah. the most part most of those things are taken care of you don't have to hunt your own food you can go to the grocery store you don't have to worry about building a shelter hopefully you have a home that that you can stay in you don't have to worry about clothing you know for the most part people have you know i don't want to assume everybody's in the same state uh, of well-being of course not but we don't have those those primitive pressures so our our bodies are built for fighting and it's just we i know for myself it's come, it's almost like my mind is is racing because it has to it has to solve something or it has to I don't know. I don't know how you would describe it. And I'm hoping I'm hoping you'll get into what your experience has been, what you've seen. But let me stop blabbing. Um, Kim, how would you walk us through um, what led you up to this point? Um, just like the the highlights or the, the major stepping stones in your life, starting when you were a child, like what what did the first steps into your career, into becoming who you are? What did that look like then? Well, I always, well, first I wanted to be a vet <laughs> early on, and then I realized I was allergic <laughs> to animals, uh, although I do have two cats and they may be running around at some point. Uh, and uh, I, I help, I, I take a lot of allergy medicine, let's say, to have the two cats. But then I decided I really wanted to go into journalism. I'm a storyteller. I love to tell stories. I love hearing, you know, what make, make, makes people tick. And I think that's why I love to read so much. And I love to dissect books. And, um, and so I, I decided to go into journalism, and um, and that's what I studied. I studied media communications in Framingham with a journalism minor. And then uh, when I got out of college, um, I went into the world of communication. I went into the world of journalism, which uh, my first job in a local newspaper was like sixteen thousand dollars a year. It was just like, oh my, like I don't even know how we could survive on that. <laughs> um, it's, it's crazy. And uh, and then I kind of you know realized oh well maybe I should get into communications and write you know I was always a writer I always wanted to write a book it was always my goal was to write a book by the time I was fifty I published my first book when I was forty nine and so um, I always was a overachiever even when I was a kid uh, and went into the communications world ended up um, working in Congress uh, was a press secretary for Barbara Kennelly uh, who was a U.S. representative. Uh, in the house, um, moved to Washington, did that whole thing, and then she came back and ran for governor. And then that's when I decided I didn't want to work for anyone else again. And so I opened up my own little ghostwriting business um, and and speech writing, and then evolved that. Uh, ended up meeting my um, my partner, who is now my my ex partner. But uh, we ended up starting a, an ad agency, and uh, we grew that ad, ad agency together for 17 years, um, and it really became, um, you know, everything we we would, could have wanted. I mean, we were we were working for the state of we did work for the state of the Connecticut. We were the tourism agency. We did work for Aetna, United Health Group, um, Cigna. I mean, you name it, we were doing it. We were at the top of the world. And then in 2011. Uh, my sister died and that changed everything for me. My sister had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, schizoaffective tendencies and PTSD. 
And at that point, I realized that life was way too short. And um, I was busy running this agency. I had two young children. And I said, I need to stop. I need to take a break. Um, and so that's when I decided to uh, take a leave of absence and um, and then really tried to figure out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life and how I could find my own happiness. And that's where when the love your the mental health component really started to grow. And it was almost like after she passed away, I knew I needed to do something to help the voiceless. And so I left the agency, got divorced, uh, cleaned my canvas and started anew. And um, from that, um, did my own little marketing communications business on the side and then really started to grow this whole mental health world. And that's when I became trained um, in it, um, became a student of it, um, got mental health first aid certified, um, got involved with Mental Health Connecticut. And, and I knew that, you know, with this angel on my shoulder, my sister Kelly, that I could help others get through, um, you know, some of their own challenges. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's how I've got to where I am. So, you know, Love Your Mental Health is a passion project, um, but it's really how I was able to take all my talents um, that I gained over the course of my lifetime and put them into something that was going to be very meaningful. So does it make sense for you based on I'm always fascinated by the connection between who we are as children and what we end up doing. You know, you sometimes you can trace it back to when you were a kid. Of course, I ended up doing this because this is how I was as a kid. Does it make sense for you looking back at yourself as a kid that this is what you're doing? Well, first of all, we didn't know, we didn't talk about mental health back then, right? Um, so it wasn't even something that was on our radar. Um, but yeah, I think so. I think I, I mean, even in general, helping people, yeah, storytelling, the, the, something to that effect. Yeah. Not specifically mental health, but. Yeah. Like I've always been that kind of person of, you know, how can I help today? You know, what can I do? You know, I, and actually my mother reminded me, you know, when I was young, I would got involved with, you know, Special Olympics and I would, you know, I just, I always wanted to help people because I believe in people because I believe that we all have strengths and inner capacity to do great things in this world. And, you know, I think I looked at, you know, what my mom was doing and what my grandparents had done and, you know, how they were able to make a difference in life. I mean, my mother's always been involved with nonprofits and, you know, always doing good things for her community. And uh, yeah, so I think so. I, I And the whole, the whole piece of writing a book was definitely something that I had always dreamed of. And uh, yeah, so I think it, it, it does make sense. It really does. And it's, it's interesting how the, you know, how I got here um, and, and how, you know, I think it's my sister Angel who guided me on this pathway to, to help others. And so, and that, that lights me up. I mean, it totally lights me up to know. And, and, and even in the mindfulness space now to know that we are at Copper Beach, we are having this ripple effect, right? And so every person that we train in mindfulness We'll go out and talk about mindfulness to others and it just keeps growing. And so, you know, being able to be part of that is something that really fuels me. 
Kim, when somebody such as yourself says you're certified in mental health first aid, what does that mean? So I am a mental health first aider, but also what I will be, what I am going to do, that actually is going to be my 2024 project, is I will also be certified to train people in mental health first aid. So I am right now a certified uh, mental health. So it's kind of like how you're certified in first aid. This is your certified in mental health first aid. What I want to do next is become a trainer so that mm -hmm. I can deliver it and disseminate it out to populations. I particularly want to focus in on youth because the earlier we start, just like, you know, we train kids, you know, early on in health class about first aid, I want to be able to train kids in mental health first aid, noticing the signs. Um, how do you talk to someone who might be going through, you know, a, a crisis? Uh, what are the resources or tools that are out there that people can access? So, um, so that's, you know, it's kind of like that starting point for, you know, getting people that baseline level of knowledge. Um, and I think that we need more and more of that. It just needs to become part of the curriculum um, that our kids are, are learning. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I've talked about it before where, you know, in school, we, we learned all information, knowledge, and regurgitated it in tests and quizzes and reports and presentations. But there was nothing. I mean, we had we had gym class, you know, which was about the physical, but there was nothing really about taking care of yourself. Even gym class wasn't even about taking care of yourself. It was how many push-ups can you do? How many pull-ups can you do? You know, there's a minimum that we want you to pass this class, but there was nothing. I don't know. I, I graduated high school in 96 college in 2000 master's degrees, like in the, you know, in the, in the 2010s, but there was nothing really throughout all that education, all that time that had anything to do with um, how to treat yourself, how to survive, how to go through life. It was always like a one off. You know, there's something in the in the in the, um, the health center. There's this one seminar once a week or once once a year. Um, if you want to check it out, go check it out. But there was nothing about how to make it through life. There was nothing about these real world skills for yourself. So I love the fact that you say that you want to apply it to kids because as a father of three kids, I'm terrified. I'm terrified of the world that they're going to grow up in. It's a world that I don't even recognize because I didn't come up in that world. And I'm talking about the technology and everything that's evolving, all these tools that these kids are getting younger and younger. So I applaud your 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 desired focus on that segment of the population because I think it's so important. And I don't know the ins and outs of what they are providing for kids. My kids are eight, four, and like 16 or 17 months. I don't know the specifics of what my eight-year-old. I mean, it's great that I hear him sometimes. Some <laughs> I came around the corner and I found my kid. We were at a barbecue. I came around the corner and I found him wearing his Spider-Man gloves in his bathing suit, sitting Indian-style with his hands like this <laughs> four years old i think i found my oldest one time meditating as well he was just sitting in a quiet room and then i found like i said my four-year-old uh at a barbecue he just right in the middle of the deck he's just sitting there i come around the corner he's got his eyes closed hands on his knees just relaxed um so you can tell they're doing stuff that i didn't do at all through my education but I, again i'm glad that you you have that focus on the youth because i think they need it more than than we do because we we know enough hopefully we're learning to look for resources 
Yeah. When, when they're kids, it's like, unless you put it in front of them and say, you need, you should consider this, they're not going to know enough to really go out for the most part. They're not going to know enough to go out and really seek it the way an adult would. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I, you know, it's also very refreshing, um, you know, even as an adult, but you know, for kids as well, is that when we go to, you know, regular doctors now, you know, primary care, they're asking about mental mm, health. Yeah. Um, which didn't happen before. And it's like, you know, have you had any, you know, have you wanted to hurt yourself or have you had these strange thoughts or, you know, and it's like, ah, oh, thank you for asking, you know? And so there's that too, that that's also happening. So, you know, because you just never know. I, I, uh, I had gone to a fifth grade classroom to talk about mental health and talk about my book. And I remember saying to the fifth graders, you know, you need to find your safe person. It may not be your parents. You know, it could be a teacher, a coach, an aunt, an uncle, that safe person that if you're feeling, you know, you know, tightness in your chest where you might be having a panic attack or you're having these stomach aches all the time where you might be dealing with anxiety or you just kind of don't feel right, you know, find that safe person and talk to them. After I left that classroom, one of the fifth grade girls went up to the teacher and said, I'm having those feelings that Miss Tita talked about. And that teacher immediately called down to the school social worker and said, um, you know, we need to, we need to, somebody needs to see this child. And to know, and so she reached out to me and told me that I had that impact on this child. And to know that I was able to impact that one girl and who knows how many others, um, just by saying that was like, made me realize like, okay, you know, I want to help others get to that point where they're seeking the help that they need. And so for me, that was really kind of that springboard. Uh, yeah, I was back in 20, uh, 2019 when I had first published the book and so to see that that really gave me that desire to 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 take this love your mental health piece um into the world yeah and if you think about it 2019 to now think about where that child would have been without that heads up without that um that guidance that you provided where they may have been you know because you know there there still is that stigma you know even even you know as a man um there still is that pressure of maintaining appearances. And what's great about this series, a byproduct of just the series itself, is just the ability of my guests and I opening up about challenges, vulnerabilities, anxieties, whatever it's been, mental health, obviously. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just all it takes is just kind of like, it's almost like it's not permission, but it, even it's just a, a, a positive trigger, a positive question from somebody gives us permission just to open up um, right because most of the time we're the only ones holding ourselves back yeah yeah actually and that's that's a that's a, a good segue to uh, to the book because uh, and that you know it's all about talking about you know what our gifts are and 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 how do we unleash those and leverage our creativity Kim before we jump to the book though one last question before that. Mm. Sure. What does leadership mean to you? Oh, leadership means listening, guiding, and believing. And, and I say that with uh, a lot of love in my heart. Um, you know, 
in order to be an effective leader, you need to understand the people that you're leading and you need to understand where they're coming from. And, um, and I think that that starts with listening. And um, I think that it's not about imposing my ideas on others. It's about listening to see what, you know, what somebody might need in that moment, whether it's, you know, as a board chair, um, you know, looking at, okay, what is our collective vision, you know, and how are we going to integrate and implement that vision um, in what we do? So I, I think it's a very collaborative process. And, um, you know, I love being a leader. I really do. I love I love the feeling of accomplishment and watching others do great things. One of the things when I ran an ad, or ad agency, one of the things I learned early on was hire people better than yourself. Because we are all like, you know, we all have gifts. And, you know, as a leader, you can't do everything. You can't be everything. So bring people on to whether it's, you know, in a hiring situation or on a board or whatever it is, bring others on who can do amazing things in their own right. And, uh, and I learned that, you know, early on um, that we have to empower others to do great things and lead them along the way and help support them and guide them. Uh, mm -hmm. But that's what, that's what it means to me. So well said. Kim, at this point, why don't you introduce the book um, and how you came across the book itself? Sure, sure. So the book we're going to talk about is Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Yeah, I got mine too. Yeah. <laughs> Which I absolutely adore. Uh, who I absolutely adore. I mean, uh, you know, she's the eat, pray, love author. And I think that, you know, so many people read that book or or at least watch that movie. And uh, yeah, so I was introduced to this book, ironically, when I moved to Old Saybrook, my, uh, my Love Your Mental Health studio to Old Saybrook from Chester. I was in Chester for a year in Connecticut and then moved to Old Saybrook. And the woman who had the, the art and wellness studio uh, in the space that I now occupy, um, she was um, selling off some of her library. And she had this book and I'm like, oh, I've been wanting to read this book so bad. And she goes, well, you can have it. And so she gave it to me. I took it home that night. I started pouring myself into it um, and uh, really fell in love with it because it just felt so true to who I am and, and yeah. what I believe about others. Just what I just said about leadership is that, you know, we all have our own magic that we need to deliver in this world. And if we don't, if we don't, then somebody else is going to take that magic and deliver it into this world. So, uh, so that's how I got, you know, it was just like, it was meant to be like, I was meant to be in her space. And I think she was meant to, it was meant to be that she gave me this book. And it really has been very foundational for me uh, on this journey. Kim, can you give, um, just kind of an overview of your takeaways of the book, I guess. Um, and I'll just kind of, the contents are broken down into, I think, uh, six parts. Um, and again, all this has to do, Kim has broken it down in terms of the, the message of the book, 
Uh, part one is courage, enchantment, permission, persistence, trust, divinity. Um, what are your takeaways from the book, Kim? Like, what is it that stands out? Why did the Why did this resonate? What was it that spoke to you? First of all, those words that you just read are all just beautiful words, right? You know, courage, divinity, you know, strength, and um, and I think for me it was, you know just the notion of ideas right and so we all have ideas and we all have ideas that you know might pop in our head or something we might do but what stops us is fear right and kind of the same thing with the love your mental health right what stops us is fear um and so what i loved what you know if i can wrap my hands around this book is it was it taught us how to get beyond that fear. First of all, to recognize those fears, whether it's like, you know, oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. What if people don't like this idea? And sort of recognize those fears and realize, it, you know, what they truly are. They're just fears and they're in our head. And so to be able to take those fears away, cast those aside and realize that, we all were given something. We all have a beautiful gift inside of us. And for us to be creative with that gift, whether it's playing music, being a singer, being an artist, being a writer, being a, a speaker, um, whatever it is that your gift is to be able to put that out into the world. And I think that she did, she gave us permission. And that was one of the other chapters is permission to believe in yourself and to, mm. and to put forward the magic in your life. Um, she said, one of the things is make something of yourself with yourself was one of the things, statements that she had. She said it unfolds a beauty and transcendence within your life. And I think that that really is, is, is what it's all about, you know? Um, and that if we don't execute those ideas, they're going to go to someone else. And I, and it was, she was giving like these real life examples of like this idea she had. And then all of a sudden, like she didn't pursue the idea. And then like a year later, somebody else ran with the idea. And so like, like you're trying to envision like, okay, do ideas hop from, per, from one person to the next person to the next person to the next person? I guess maybe, yeah. Like maybe universally in this wonderful wide universe that that can really happen. Yeah. It's a, it's an incredible book. It's, it's one that was recommended to me by a few people when I started this series. Um, somebody was on here as a guest and they recommended that book. So I got around to it. Um, they love the book. They didn't get into the specifics of it. I think they gave the example of an idea floating around and, you know, you not listening to that voice, which a lot of my guests have talked about voices that were in their, in their head for years about write a book or do this or do that. And they didn't listen. <clears throat> so my my colleagues had recommended this book. I finally got around to it. I read the synopsis on it and just about creativity and inspiration. And obviously she's a successful writer. Um, but there's just so much in it. What's what's powerful is yes, that permission. I think it's a wake-up call. I think I think everybody should read it. I don't care what kind of industry you're in. Um, <coughs> excuse me, what kind of industry you're in, painter 
writer, sculptor, like the traditionally creative types, sure, fine, perfect. But I think other people that aren't in those areas should also read it just because it wakes you up to listen to yourself. It wakes you yeah. up to listen to what inspires you, what you could put out there. I think so many people walk through life thinking that they don't have anything to offer. Uh, yeah. And I think the pandemic woke me up. Not that I felt like that before, but I think the pandemic really woke me up to what I truly have to offer. Uh, and I'm still working on it. It's still a work in progress. But I think a lot of that plays into this as well. Like everything I just said is not pulled from what she said, but from my own experience, she translate, translates that experience perfectly into this book in terms of yeah. knowing who you are, not compromising, that it doesn't have to work for other people, that you should be fulfilled. Uh, what was the idea that I was just thinking about? Um, but again, even if you're not a creative I think a lot of people compromise thinking that they don't have anything to offer. And I think that's where a lot of people get lost in their lives is that they don't, we think about reacting to the world around us instead of being proactive and bringing to that world. Um, and I'll go through a couple quotes that I found in the book that stood out to me. You know, I, I got this thing marked up as I was going through it in the <laughs> margins. It's just like good quote, yeah. or, you know, so I went through it again and wrote some, wrote down some of the quotes. Um, but what 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 for you changed after you read this book, Kim? What what thinking tweaked or what what view or what lens of yours changed just by reading this book? Was anything enhanced or altered? What how did you come out of this book different? Yeah, I, I think belief, belief in myself, right? And I think that we get stuck. We just get stuck. And you know, she said something about um, about Eat, Pray, Love. She said, I found an untended idea and I ran away with it, right? And then it became, became this international bestseller. And I think about, like, even what you're doing, right? This book leads. Like, what a like when, when you first approached me, I'm like, what a great idea, you know? And then as I got more, in, you know, involved and, you know, kind of researched you and I'm like, you know, talk about running away with an idea and creating something beautiful, right? And I'm sure it was an idea that came to you, but it might have taken time to kind of pull it all together and like, all right, how am I going to do this? Who am I going to talk to? How do I get the equipment? What systems do I need? All of that. But you had the courage and the belief in yourself to take it to this next level where you have this, you know, wonderful podcast and having all these, all these great, great um, guests on it. So it's an idea that starts, you know, an unintended idea. It's not like, you know, you probably like all of a sudden, I don't know how it started. Maybe we should talk about that, but you know, it's, it is something that, that is very beautiful, right? It just starts as this like seed. And then it start you you start to nurture it right and cultivate it and then it starts to grow and and become this this amazing thing and it's even with writing right it's like you sit back and you you might like one night I'm a a big nighttime writer right so I'll write at night and then the next morning I'll go back and I'll be like wow I wrote that you know like how did I even do that but it's like sometimes we need to just let our ideas flow and I think that if we if we become so enamored with the minutia of it and the execution of it that we get scared and then we back away. 
So I think that for me, the whole notion of belief in yourself and that it can be done. And if it's meant to be done, it will be done. You know, if you put it out into the universe, somehow, some way, um, by faith or whatever, it will happen. So I, I, I think that for me, it just kind of gave me that belief that, you know, I, I can do this. I can make this happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, you said so many great things just there. Um, <laughs> But I mean, in terms of this series, there's one, I'm just looking at the page of like quotes that I pulled. Uh, one that really stands out, really stands out when I read this. She says, creativity is a gift to the creator, not just a gift to the audience. So when you talk about how did this series start, um, it was me taking a chance, right? Not even at, at the beginning of the series itself, Long story short, because I've told this story before, the pandemic hit. I wanted to stay active, joined the board. Uh, I hosted their virtual events. I just volunteered. I'm like, what the hell? Let me do it. I enjoyed it. They said it that I looked like I enjoyed it, was done with that board and wanted to kind of keep that energy of like picking people's brains, having a good laugh, being relaxed. And obviously this dives deeper than an association's um event because those are more like high level questions. This is deeper. Nonetheless, I'm like, okay, I want to start this up. Obviously it puts my face out there. We're not going to lie. You know, it's my business, yada, yada, yada. Um, but it's evolved. It's evolved. Like the way that it started is not what it is now. And, um, I was talking to a guest where he said he wanted to start a podcast, but there are so many out there. So, and it'll be hard to compete. And me, I don't, I don't even think about it that way. Uh, mm. I started in terms of I missed talking to somebody and sharing that conversation. But again, this quote, creativity is a gift to the creator. Like this is a gift to me. Like these conversations, talking to all of you across different industries, from different backgrounds, from different experiences. Um, so even if no one was listening, this is already a reward to me. The fact that people listen and write me and provide feedback. And I've had like authors that I have up here reach out to be on. <laughs> like That's insane. But yeah. it's mine first. Like I have to enjoy it first. Um, it is for my audience. It is for my guests. But if I don't, if I don't feel that gift first, then it's it no longer works for me and you know with getting busy with work and um growing the family there are certain things that are falling by the wayside things that you know they they don't drive me enough they don't fulfill me enough so it's kind of like i keep this pecking order of what is it that really is a gift to me and what is yes a gift but i don't feel that fire for it so it's amazing how making sure something you're creating again whether you're a painter, a sculptor, a writer, um, a construction worker, uh, an accountant, a conversationalist. Like to me, conversational conversations are creativity. This has made me better. Even in, when I'm in public with somebody that I'm meeting for, for the first time, I see like when you ask somebody a certain question, how they come alive, you see their brilliance come out because you're looking them in the eye, you're using their name, you're asking them about themselves. And it's just, it's not just like, how's your day going? You know, but it's like the why, like, why are you who you are? Why did you do that? Like curiosity. So to me, that stands out that we need to recognize that creativity 
it, it should light us up. It's not just for others to buy or to appreciate. It has to be something that really brings out an energy from you. Yeah, yeah, I love everything you just said and and kind of, you know, dovetailing on that curiosity piece. I think that's what it's all about, right? And and I've always been curious. You know, I've always I've, you know, started as a writer, a storyteller, you know, asking questions, went into journalism because I wanted to ask a lot of questions and uh and I think that we need to do that. I think that you know, human beings are just amazing creatures and that if we give people a chance and we ask the right questions and know how to ask the right questions, I mean, you can learn so much about a person. And I think that, you know, curiosity sparks imagination, right? And so imagination sparks creativity and it's kind of like this whole you know, beautiful package that, you know, each one of us, I mean, you think about it like when you go on a first date, right? You're asking all these questions because you're curious, you know, what makes that person tick and, you know, what makes them special. And I think that if we keep doing that instead of just getting stuck in, you know, kind of like the status quo, you know, imagine how much more we can learn about people. Um, what I also love too about what you're doing is that so many people don't read and um, so many people and I find that all the time like I'm like oh well I'll read the book for you and I'll tell you what it's about <laughs> like because like I love to read I love to dissect books I love to like you know synopsize books and you know and I and I think what you're doing is you're bringing a book to life you're bringing those words to life, those words of wisdom that, you know, somebody sat down and, and, and did. And um, I think that's a really beautiful thing. She talks about in the book um, how this poet, you know, just literally like locked himself into his home so that he could create this beautiful work. You know, in a sense, that was his sacrifice, but also it was what he was meant to do. And he shares these beautiful words with people that inspire them or drive them or motivate them or whatever it is that his words do. You know, and I think of like people like Stephen King, who has been doing that for years. You know, he locks himself in his cabin in Maine and then creates these beautiful um, you know, stories that you're like, how did he even come up with those ideas, you know? But, you know, he was meant to do that, you know, or somebody like an Adam Sandler who's hysterical, you know, I mean, he's just that guy that, you know, you just want to be around because he's funny and real mm. and authentic. And I think that, you know, once we find our authentic, true self, then we can really deliver our magic. And Absolutely. I think that, that is what she really helped me to, to realize. And, and she, she started with Eat, Pray, Love, right? And so she had to find her authentic self during that. And then to be able to follow it up with this book that um, really, like you said, everyone should read it. Whatever profession, you know, I think, I think teenagers should read it. It's, it's, it's easy. It's quick. It's, it's an easy read. It's not difficult. Um, so I, I yeah, she's got a, she's got a great writing style. Very, very accessible, very down to earth, very funny. Um, yeah. <laughs> Kim, what I did want to pick your brain on, um, 
first is let me let me read this this paragraph it's a bit long but i think uh it's one of the ones that stood out to me and let me see if i can find i don't know if i can easily find which section it falls under um it may be persistence that it falls under yeah i think it's persistence but in any case let me just read this and i want to get your take uh she says I firmly believe that we all need to find something to do in our lives that stops us from eating the couch. Whether we make a profession out of it or not, we all need an activity that is beyond the mundane and that takes us out of our established and limiting roles in society, examples, mother, employee, neighbor, brother, boss, etc. We all need something that helps us to forget ourselves for a while, to momentarily forget our age, our gender, our socioeconomic background, our duties, our failures, and all that we have lost and screwed up. We need something that takes us so far out of ourselves that we forget to eat, forget to pee, forget to mow the lawn, forget to resent our enemies, forget to brood over our insecurities. Prayer can do that for us. Community service can do it. Sex can do it. Exercise can do it. And substance abuse most certainly do it. can most certainly do it, albeit with God-awful consequences. But create, creative living can do it too. Perhaps creativity's greatest mercy is this. By completely absorbing our attention for a short and magical spell, it can relieve us temporarily from the dreadful burden of being who we are. Best of all, at the end of your creative adventure, you have a souvenir, something that you made, something to remind you, you forever, to remind you forever of your brief but transformative encounter with inspiration. Now, I'm curious in terms of overall that that speaks to kind of like a relief that you feel when you get for me it's like anxiety and i've dealt with anxiety all my life and it kicked up during the pandemic for seemingly obvious reasons right father young family uncertainty in society mm. for me that anxiety has been and i've learned to channel it into different things that i need at any given moment intellectually physically emotionally spiritually whatever it may be i get curious and i just go i'm curious how do you tie creativity in? Because this kind of seems like to seek a relief from ourselves, right? Mm. Everyday life. Creativity. What is your thing? How do you tie in mental health and creativity? You as somebody who's dealt with mental health in your life, you're working in the space, you're creative, you've been a storyteller, you've been a writer. Like, what words do you describe? How do you tie those two in, mental health and creativity? What have you seen? What have you experienced? Yeah, I, that's such a good question. And I, I love that, that that paragraph that you just read. I think it, it's so powerful. And, you know, I, I, I had mentioned earlier that I just got through my the last bout of COVID. And, you know, and I find my, found myself really, you know, depressed. Um, I was isolating, you know, I was by myself, I was like, you know, and I could feel myself just spiraling, getting weepy, you know, oh, woe is me, you know, and, and then I said, all right, stop, you know, you got to stop, you know, use some of your own advice, right? Sometimes then it's like, you know, you gotta, you gotta get you out of your own way, right? Use some of your own advice. And that's when I said, all right, I, I've got to I've got to get creative. I've got to, you know, move myself from that TV that I'm getting sucked into, get off that couch, you know, change my seat, change my setting, change my viewpoint, 
so that I could really rebuild myself back up. And I actually latched on to uh, this book of um, by Jay Sheedy called uh, The Nine Rules of Love. And so I really dove into that um, and really started to, you know, absorb it. And I think for me, it was like getting out of my own head. Um, how I use creativity, like for, like, I'll give you an example of when I fly on an airplane, okay? One of the things for me of flying on an airplane is I get very panicky. Um, I find that I... Um, get tensed up. I have restless leg syndrome. So for me, being squished into that little sea is very difficult for me. So what I do is I bring a little, a little coloring book with coloring pencils. And instead of focusing on all of these things that I know that are going to happen to my body because I'm sitting there, I'm now focused on drawing between the lines and colors and and one of the things that I talk about is the joy of creative wellness. Um, I actually have a workshop on that, and it talks about the nine ways to integrate creativity into your life. And it's even as much as wearing a colorful shirt, you know, getting the black and gray and blue off and wearing something red and bright and something that's going to enliven you, um, eating foods that are rich in color. Um, you know, looking at, you know, uh, one of the things that I've been doing, I've been watching a lot of flea market flip. So uh, one of the things I've been doing is repurposing my furniture with color, you know, painting things, um, you know, just bringing color into your life because color is some, you know, is all about our senses and the five senses. And the, the other book that I've been reading is, or I just read is um, it's behind me life in five senses by Gretchen Rubin, who's the woman who does the happiness project. <clears throat> okay. And so when you start to look at your senses and how do you see smell taste here, that's all about bringing creativity into your life because you're using your full senses. So I think that there's so many things that we can do that we take for granted or that we're like, oh, well, that's not going to help. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, yeah. um, when you deal with somebody who has Alzheimer's, you know, getting them in touch with their creative self again is something that's very empowering um, because they can, they recognize colors. They can, they can feel the textures. They may, their brain not be, may not be functioning fully to the fullest capacity, but they still can gravitate to other things that we loved as a kid. Right. And so a lot of times it's getting back to your childhood. Right. When you didn't know a lot and it was all about color, taste, touch, you know, smell, all of that creativity. So, you know, so I think that's how you integrate that creative wellness into your life. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned childhood because childhood comes up on here all the time. And then I have a few guests that have talked about um, their work in the happiness space uh, in the laughter space, going back to their childhoods and really, really appreciating the wonder and making sure that our kids understand the wonder that they have. So it's funny you bring up kids. It's about awe and wonder. And then she has, um, she has something in the book that talks about wonder. Let's see page 250 is a good segue. Good call. Um, she's speaking to like when things don't work out, um, 
she talks about returning to okay at such times i can always steady my life once more by returning to my soul and this is on page 250 uh kim at such times i can always steady my life once more by returning to my soul i ask it and what is it you want dear one the answer is always the same more wonder please mm. as long as i'm still moving in that direction toward wonder then i will then i know i will always be fine in my soul which is where it counts and since creativity is still the most effective way for me to access wonder i choose it and i bring that up only because i've brought up on here previously less stress in my life because i'm not working i'm not moving i'm not working towards a goal like a strictly defined goal i may have general goals i want to move like she says in that general direction but for the most part i'm being creative in my everyday i'm building moments there's a quote somewhere about moments or maybe i'm applying it to moments but it's like the power of conversations throughout the day um, meeting new people, trying new things. She obviously she in that other quote she talked about trying new things. We've talked about trying new things that we're not familiar with. So there's a power in just wonder, like you said, yeah. that 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 awe that a child has, that re rediscovery of wonder in life. Um, but yeah, I've realized just this put to language what I was thinking about. What is it that's really keeping me going in life? It's not that strict goal at the end, but it's just that that wonder, that ability to create awesome things in your yeah, everyday. Yeah, the curiosity. It's the yeah. curiosity. Yeah. You know, it's it's be it's having that curiosity every day in life, and I think that 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 dovetails so nicely with mindfulness because when we're truly present, when we're truly present in that moment, whether it's going for a walk or driving your car or uh, doing the dishes or eating, right? Eating, when we eat mindfully, we're paying attention to what we're eating. We're looking at the colors. We're wondering where it came from. We're, 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 we're expressing gratitude for those farmers that may have grown that strawberry, you know? And so that is, that really is truly the epitome of mindfulness is to be truly present and being okay with that wondering and being okay with that curiosity and and being grateful for it right mm -hmm. and it, that's a beautiful thing and you know people say oh, i don't have time for that yeah yeah you do yeah well, I was, you do <laughs> i was thinking of what the alternative our default mode is as opposed to what you're talking about what is that what is it that we do when we're not being mindful and is it's just you know, you're on cruise control. You're just reacting. Yeah. You know, I'm doing yeah. the dishes, but I'm looking out the window daydreaming of something or thinking about the stress tomorrow at work or what I messed up, you know, the day before. You're not, I don't know. This It's come up so often in this in these conversations about just appreciating the little things. Um, yes. Yes. And it's like, I I tr I'm, I'm trying to think of a way to like convey that to somebody so that they won't think it's hokey. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because they, yeah. they say, here, here we go with another fucking cliche. But it's just, <laughs> it's very important to just stop and take take in where you are. Like, even in this room yeah. that I'm in right now, I can look around at all the stuff I have in here and, and find a great story and a piece of whatever. A book, something that my kid drew me. Um, well, there's a lot of books in here. But um, 
And just think about the history of everything that came into this room. Uh, but yeah. I don't, you know, for the most part, I come in, I sit down, I work, I get up, I go. Like, yeah. so there, <laughs> there is something just to stopping and taking in where you are and just appreciating it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my mom was like, oh, I don't know about this whole mindfulness thing. You know, she's like, you know, I'm always talking about it. I, I don't understand this, what you're talking about, you know. And, you know, and I get it. It's generational, yeah, you yeah. know. And, you know, they didn't grow up with it. It's not, you know, this big thing. Or they might, you know, like, oh, yeah, it's those people that do the yoga or those people that do, you know, go sit in the, you know, wherever and, and yeah, meditate. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, no, 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 no Mom. It, it's so much more than that. So much she came to a session, uh, a workshop that, that I had a, a, a wellness. Uh, we do, I do wellness beach retreats here in Old Saybrook. And she came and her mindset totally did a 180. And after the, the, the wellness retreat, she called me and she's like, yeah, you know, those things that I didn't really want to do because I was scared or because I, you know, I didn't think, or because I didn't want to leave my house because I didn't want to leave the plants. I changed my mind and I'm like, really? And she's like, yeah, she's like, your wellness retreat really got me thinking that life is too short and I need to really kind of change my tune. And I was like, yes, yes, I yeah. changed my mother. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I talk to my father-in-law all the time, you know, he's recently retired, he and my mother-in-law and, um, He's he he worked for a landscape uh, landscaping company. He owned a landscaping company himself, so he was always active. He would work full time and then go home and cut like three different lawns or four different lawns, whatever, during the summer, all throughout the summer. Um, recently retired, and it's one of those things where he just can't quit cold turkey. And I'm yep. seeing more and more people retire and they're coming back as, as retirees that are helping their companies. They're staying active. We're like back in the day, it was like you retired and then you just kind of sat around the house watching prices, right. And soap operas, you know, you had your income to sustain the house and everything that needed to be done. But it was almost like you worked all your life for somebody else. And now you were just kind of in the waiting room. Yeah. Where now yeah. it's just different. Now, again, it's more proactive. You realize the power of creativity, getting out there, getting activated, getting motivated, getting proactive. It's, you know, yeah. and it, again, same, that same lesson with the young girl in the class that you gave like a half hour ago to now with your mom, all it takes is like somebody to introduce it to you because you ha may have a perception of it from a distance. Oh, these hippies or whatever, whatever they're thinking. <laughs> And all you need is the the right introduction to it, not somebody that's going to say you should you should work out more, right? No, but like they show you why you should, they demonstrate why you should, they they give you the why of why you should. So that's amazing that she discovered that. Obviously, a generational thing. That, that was the generation that you retired and you kind of yeah just waited around. So yeah, you. yeah, and it's like. Your plants, your plants, you should be traveling. Like, you know, she has this opportunity to go to Italy. And I'm like, just go. What are you waiting here for? You know? And it's like, you know, I, her mindset is is switched. It's like, I'll take care of your plants. You can buy new plants. You know? <laughs> so it's it and and I and I think that that's why I'm here on this earth, right? Is to help um help people get out of their own way, mm. help people get unstuck. 
right? And I think that you have to release your triggers, you have to release your fears, and you have to believe that, you know, number one, it's most important to love yourself. And then number two, to share that love with others. You know, one of my favorite thing is, you know, the, the key to happiness is to love and be loved. And, you know, that has been, that's on my, that's my statement on my Facebook page. It has been part of my existence. I mean, I have a shirt with a heart on it. I've every, my logo is love. And, um, you know, I think that that is so important. We need more love in our life. We mm. really do. Because you know why? This world is a mess, you know, yes. and the more we can love our circle and our, you know, the circles around us, um, you know, the better we're all going to be. And, and I think more than ever, we need that, you know, and uh, I think it's really important um, moving forward. Absolutely. Kim, can you just uh, very briefly, because I've taken up enough of your time, but your memoir, can you just kind of give a synopsis of your, your memoir? Yeah, so it I, I took me about eight, eight to nine years to complete, and I started it after my sister had passed away. And I really wanted to tell our story about um, what we went through um, uh, with her mental health journey and how it started, um, you know, how we found her. Um, she, was, she died in Arizona in her apartment. Um, so I start with, with that. Um, and kind of going into her apartment for the first time after she had passed away. And then it takes people on this journey of how we dealt with mental health and the things that we saw, experienced. Um, and then it talks about how I was able to take that loss, that extreme loss, and turn it into something positive. And that was my road towards becoming a mental health advocate. Um, I kind of want to do a part two because my life has changed so much since I wrote that and, you know, finished it in 2019. And I, I've had some really good ideas of, of kind of where I want to take it. So it, it, it's a journey about us, my sister and I, Kelly, and, um, you know, talks a lot about who she was as a person. Um, I wanted people to remember her for, um, you know, the good things she brought to this world. Um, and yeah, and so it just, it, it's kind of my, my story and, uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, to adding on to it because I've done so much since I've written the book. I mean, I really, I, I, I didn't, I didn't have mindfulness back then. Uh, and now I'm like, I'm a whole different human and yeah. it's really nice to see where, where I kind of landed. Yeah. It's amazing when you get to that point where you feel like a whole different human, but all you did was take time to just discover yourself a little more. Right. Like <laughs> you free. feel like a whole different human, <laughs> but, but there's nothing new to you. You just learn tools to let yourself, let yourself be, let yourself shine, let yourself yeah. see yourself. It's just, that's the most frustrating part. I think in life is by the time you feel comfortable in your own skin, you're doing your best because you just, you finally feel comfortable in your own skin and, and you've discovered, you've made that discovery about who you are. Yeah. And you honor yourself. Right. And so, and I think that's why the self-care piece is so important is, you know, it's, you know, 
especially moms, right? And, and not to discount dads, but a lot of moms are like, you know, all about the kids, 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 you know, and I was like that too for, you know, for so long. And it was like, you know, you're giving so much of yourself to everyone else that the person that gets most forgotten is you. And then you realize, and then, and then you're resentful for it and you're feeling exhausted and drained. And then you realize, I should have been taking care of myself this whole time. And so I think that there's the beauty about in your fifties and sixties where, you know, kind of that family piece is, you know, they're kind of on their own now. And so it's like now that central focus comes back to you. And sometimes I wish I had known that earlier in life, but you know, that's okay. That's why I'm here sharing messages with others um, is that you have to take that time for self care. I mean, people that come to my wellness retreats, you know, it's the first thing they've done for themselves in years, you know, yeah. like they've never given themselves a full day of self-care. And it's like, you know, why? why yeah. not? <laughs> I think that's another silver lining of the pandemic. There are very few, but I think that's another good one is I've seen and heard from parents or fathers and mothers separately where they kind of give each other a day to go with their friends and go off and decompress. My wife and I do that the same thing it's like everybody yeah. needs it we're we're back we in the past it. It, it, my parents generation you'd never hear about you know my dad going off for the day or my mom going off for the day it was like they were both home it was both their duties to be there all throughout now with the the mental health aspect coming to the forefront that's a part of it i mean it's it's there's a lot that goes into it so I, i'm glad that that's shifting as well for parents and mothers as well yeah. absolutely yeah, I, when I was running the ad agency with my ex-husband, he would, you know, there would be times when he would just get like really frazzled and I'd be like, I think you need to go away to the Norwich Inn and spa for a day, you know? And so I always knew once he got to that point of no return, it was time to send him away for a day or two. Yeah. He'd come back so yeah. rejuvenated and so refreshed and so ready to tackle whatever, you know, fire we had to put out or whatever was ahead. And I think that if we grant ourselves that time, um, we can be so much more stable. Yeah. Um, Kim, so how would you, in a few sentences, how would you try to sell this to somebody? Especially if they don't believe, let me try to make it work on screen. Uh, she's making it hard for me with her cover design. How would you, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> How would you, especially to somebody who doesn't see themselves as a creative, again, I'm going to say you don't need to be to appreciate and glean great insights from this book. What would you say to somebody to, to kind of make them pick up this book for themselves? I would say that, you know, everyone needs a little magic in their lives. And when you believe that we all have the talent and magic inside of us. Um, when you see it written in this way, um, this is a tool to add to your toolbox. This is something that will give you the strength and the courage and the permission to believe in yourself. And I, you know, and to realize that we all, we all have creativity. Even an accountant has creativity. They have to be creative with numbers. You know, a firefighter has creativity. They have to be creative with how they spray that water, how they cut through 
you know, a, a burning wall. They have to be creative in their delivery. So it, no matter what people say, I'm not, I don't have a creative bone in my body. Bull. Yeah, you do. We all have creativity because creativity is sparked by curiosity. And if we, we are curious and we learn how to do things that need to be done, we are putting our creativity into action. And so that would be how I would, you know, that, you know, and I would also say, you know, it was written by the woman who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. And you know, I think that, that that in and of itself is a, is a selling point. Mm -hmm. And it's life-changing. I think it was a really life-changing book and very foundational for me as far as, you know, getting me to that next place and in, in where I am in my life now. Yeah. Yeah. I think because she's been through it, she kind of blazes a path for others to follow. Um, she kind of knows the ways you may be holding yourself back and how to offset that. So it's very, it's almost like step-by-step step of like the, not the creative process for what you're doing specifically, but just your, just your mindset of how you see yourself, how you find inspiration, how you get it out there, how you sustain it. So I, I echo Kim's words. I definitely recommend the book. Kim, in wrapping up, is there anything uh, that I might have missed? What are you up to these days? Anything that you want to share? Uh, you know, I, I, what I'm up to now is a lot of work with Copper Beach. Uh, I'm doing a uh, every Tuesday at 1230. I am doing a free meditation online via Zoom through Copper Beach. Uh, it's a half hour meditation. And so if people want to dial in, uh, they can be part of it. And I will lead a guided meditation on Tuesdays at 1230. So for me, I think that's really important to give people that time to just pause for a minute in their busy days and just really kind of become present with themselves so that they can finish off the day in a, in a good frame of mind. So that for me is what I'm focused in on. And like I said, you know, really just growing this love your mental health brand and getting people to realize that self-care is key in, in how uh, we love ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's key to your, your meditation, your midday meditation, just to break up the day, step away and just kind of, um, recharge even if just for a little bit um instead of just trying to burn right through it eight hours straight or whatever so i think that's great yeah. and then so, i think that's you know meditation you can meditate on ideas right so if you have an idea you know as they say in the big magic right is we you know we all have ideas if there's an idea that you want to bring to the forefront you can meditate on that idea you know take that time to be really present with that idea sit with it and think about it and you know and and that's when the magic happens right the magic you know it becomes it becomes something that 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 you can deliver to the world so yeah i think with ideas people just think it's going to come to them fully formed and that if it hasn't come to them fully formed then it's not worth pursuing but you know there's a little nudge that you need about you know, jumping into that idea, that outline of an idea, that skeleton frame of an idea and kind of filling in what you can. But again, there's that proactivity that you need. Yeah. Yeah. You're a living example of it with this, with this uh, podcast. I appreciate that. So Kim and I talked about big magic, creative living beyond fear by Elizabeth Gilbert. Great book, highly recommend it. I can't stress it enough. Even if you're not an artist, even if you're not a creative, you don't think yourself a creative, 
the mindset aspect of this is it's not, you know, it's not research laid in where it's like technical jargon. It's like everyday talk conversation that you would have with somebody you trust next to you. So I highly recommend it. Kim, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, John. This was wonderful. It was so nice to spend some time with you today. It was awesome. If there's anything that I might have missed, there's so much to cover limited time. Please let me know. I'll reach out to Kim and see if I can get some feedback or ideas on anything that I get. Uh, thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. And I'll talk to you in the next episode. Take care. Bye. Peace.